Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with S and M. Hey everybody, we're back again. Just like last week, that you probably missed. You may have missed. Some you have to be a up. fast action taker if you want to catch us. Yeah, it was up for about three days. No, it wasn't. It sure was. I took it down Wednesday morning, I thought. No, you took it down Tuesday morning. That quickly? I thought it was Wednesday morning. Check your phone. Anyway, so yes, we did an episode last week, and uh, uh, I I uh, raged out. I had I had a conversation with someone. And I was purely, I was just enraged and I was filled with rage, I was angry. And then I spent like the first half of that episode just hurling vitriolic invective at this person, despite using an anonym for this person. They found out about it, which was not my intention, which listener might be asking, hey, why would you say all this stuff in a public forum if you didn't want them to hear it? And I will answer that question. Which is funny, because that is literally what our 18-year-old said. He was like, that's why you make throwaway accounts. What are you doing? This is a podcast. All right. So a few things to, to your point. Fair point, listener. One, I'm a moron. Second. He's uh, an old man. <laughs> he forgot how the internet works. Well, uh, I just, I forget that. Well, okay, no. Second, I'll say this, is uh, this person has told me before that, that they don't, listen to the podcast right they don't like it they don't enjoy it so they don't listen to it and and that's fine so i i took them at their word but i, I still don't know if they actually listen to it i suspect that somebody told them about it and uh which is still odd that, and because uh, i i forget that we have a lot we actually have a lot of listeners Across we really do i feel world. like when i'm sitting here talking <laughs> on my couch to you that i'm then also talking to like the three other people that actually interact with us about the show Right. See, here's the weird thing about the show is that we see the numbers. So we are on to you guys. Like, we know you exist. <laughs> right. You don't have anything. To, you don't have shit to say to us. Yeah. You ain't got shit to say to us, but we know you're there. So, but we forget you're there because the only people who have anything to say to us know us. Right. Like, in real life. But feel free to speak up. Yeah. You're, you are invited to speak to us. However... It's the only people who do know us in real life. So we're like, oh, okay, so. Yeah, like I said, I just forget that there's actually a lot of right. listeners out there, which also thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so I got a text message and I had hurt his feelings, which made sense. I just, it was just insult. It was, it was just all bad. It was, it was very immature. It was also everything that Sean says to me in private, but in public. Right. And <laughs> that's. So I should not have done that publicly. That was a that was a mistake on my part. And I actually feel I felt really bad after getting a text message about it. So that's why I took it down because I was uh, it wasn't nobody asked me to take it down. I just felt really bad. I was like, man, the whole point of that is I felt like I was yelling into the void. And I know, again, yes, C.1, I'm a moron. Uh, I, I forget that people actually listen to our fucking show. And <laughs> I, I really here, do. Here's the thing. Nothing Sean said and his points made were wrong. However, but anyway, it was. However, the insults were was unnecessary. Were unnecessary. It was bad. It was. Uh, uh, it was. I, I. I. truly feel bad. I should. I shouldn't have done that. And uh, so yeah. Uh, sorry. Apologies. All that stuff. That is. Uh, that's not who I want to be. I think Look everybody has moments doing like your, that. Your first. Uh, your what? first walking back on something. <laughs> Well, no, I'm apologizing for hurting someone's feelings. And also, 
<laughs> but it doesn't change how you feel. Anyway, my point is I'm apologizing for hurting someone's feelings because when I look at it from the perspective of, all right, here's how I view the world. And I consider this a very pragmatic view of the world. I assume if anybody cares, so if anybody cares to talk about me behind my back, I can only assume it's bad. There's nothing really good to say about me behind my back. Right. And I also have had an attitude since I was about 18 years old. Prior to this, I had the opposite attitude. But from about 18 on, I would tell people, if you have something nasty to say about me, don't say it to me at all. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so other people are like, you say it to my face. I'm like, no, I don't want to hear it. And I kind of thought I was being courteous in that manner. Because, again, this it was all just rude and insulting and. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> like, um, please don't say that to me. Right. And again, I, I forget somewhere else that we actually have listeners. Uh, so. So, yeah, mistake on my part. But yeah, I took it down because it was, you know, I was embarrassed. Um, I didn't want to leave it up as a reminder for anybody. That it, was just, it was just rude. It was it was bad. It was insulting. Uh and I, However, but, there so, were some good things that we said. Not a not. There was, there was, it was actually a decent podcast. It was a very that. good episode, except for the part in the middle where Sean lost. You'll just have to take our word for it, I guess. Um, I guess well, I could edit it. But the whole. Oh, yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll put it up with an edited big, big truncated version of it. Um, but again, we'll speaking to my music. and I mentioned this last week, though, too, in my in my tirade is that my behavior in reaction is my own character flaw. And I understand that, which is I rage out when someone is and I don't want to get back into this again. So I, I just I have so, I, I have I have issues controlling my reactions. Okay. Let's just put I'm, it that way without I'll saying speak, anything. Insulting. I'll speak to this. No, no, I will. Okay. And I, I don't want to say anything insulting say, again, but I will not say anything insulting. But I have rage so, issues when it comes to my so I need to control my reaction. The better. reason what Sean reacted to is that. Sean had a falling out with somebody who is who has conspiracy theories. See, I don't want to get into this. No, I'm not listen, trying to out anybody. I'm anymore. not either. But he had a falling out because they were not able to agree to disagree on certain things. Yeah. And again. And yeah. that's that. That was that was the argument. But when Sean's not able to communicate effectively with someone, he has a very hard time with that. So it turned into a whole thing on the podcast. Yeah. And again, that was totally my fault because the only thing you can control is how you react to things. That right. was not a... A good reaction right. wasn't a good look for me and it was insulting to them and it was just like i said utterly unnecessary bad but again that like i said that's my character flaw though is i would just so Sean that's the reason tolerate i have no tolerance i'm intolerant people i'm admitting it i'm intolerant yeah. he does when not it comes tolerate. to certain things um, people who are not willing to educate themselves with okay, actual... Okay, enough, 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 enough. No, facts. stop. I'm stopping you. <laughs> Your time okay. is up. Okay. All right. So moving on, moving forward. I'm sorry for that behavior. I'm sorry for the listeners that had to hear that. I'm sure some of them enjoyed it. But at the same time, it's it's just very mature. I'm, I am truly embarrassed. It's, it's, it's not a good thing to do. There were valid points made. However, the insults were unnecessary. Okay. I think that's fair. All right, so um, I want to I want to talk about something. I don't know if you're getting ready to go into your topic, but I wanted to talk. My about topic is a bummer. Um, <clears throat> so Trump had his big his big rally that everybody's been talking about, right? The big COVID rally where he gets everybody together so they pass COVID to each other, and sans masks. So 
And then there were all these pictures and videos of this place. It was a 19,000 seat venue. And it's turned out only about 6,200 people showed up. Now, initially, do you have water? I'm choking on something and there's nothing like, anyway. You're choking on the fact that we took down no, that I... episode. That was so good. What oh, about great. Black... It doesn't work. Oh, that means the straw has come off. I'm so, literally choking. So we, um, the episode, by the way, that I will probably edit actually and put back up now that I'm thinking about it. That would be it. very cool. It was all about Black Black Lives Matter, so. It was good stuff. Um, anyway, thank you for the water. <laughs> thank you for the non-functioning water bottle in my time of on? need. Yes, <laughs> it's very strange that that's the one time it's not connected is when I'm like, oh, I'm going to die now. <laughs> anyway. That is strange. All right, so it's a 19,000-seat 19, arena. About 6,200 people showed up, um, and they had a whole overflow area. Trump was touting how... They had like a million ticket requests. Well, it turns out is he got trolled big time by kids on TikTok and Twitter or whatever. They So basically you could request two tickets a person. These were all free tickets. And they overbook it on purpose, kind of like, like when I went to go see, I got free tickets to Deadpool 2 and they give out more tickets to make sure that every seat is filled, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the intention so that they have a full arena even if a bunch of people don't show up. And typically people end up getting sent home like a Deadpool 2. Right, and, and they have an overflow area. and that, So they had an overflow area for Trump. So basically what happened is these kids inflated these numbers. So they were expecting all these people, including an outdoor overflow area. And there was an unlimited number of tickets, though. See, this is something I didn't know until today. So they didn't actually prevent anyone from going. And this is actually better news. They didn't stop anyone from attending this. Mm -hmm. That was literally all the people. Anybody who wanted tickets got tickets. Mm -hmm. So... 6,200 people. So that gives me hope in a lot of ways. One, that you sh maybe a lot of people are smart enough, whether they're Trump supporters or not, they're at least smart enough to know, hey, maybe going to a goddamn rally during a pandemic is not a good idea. Maybe that kept people home. But I don't know. One guy went dressed as a wall. No, there's a lot of stupid. The people who went are all idiots. We, we know that. However, so the fact that he that that's all that showed up is like it. That's great. But it could also mean, and this is more hopeful and probably not true, that maybe there's less people in Oklahoma that are going to vote for Trump this year. So mm. they might have just stayed home because of the we're pandemic. Gonna, we're going to my topic has to do with Oklahoma. So we're going to talk about Oklahoma <laughs> and we'll see about that. Modern day Oklahoma, Maggie. No, no. But I don't know how much you can really change. <laughs> Once I read the story, I was so disgusted. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see. All I, right. What is your topic? Oh, you don't have anything else going on that you want to talk about? No, I just wanted to share that. I thought that was funny that that's all that it was so touted. You know, he's talking about these huge, huge numbers, tremendous amount of people want to go huge. see him. And then he got up there and literally spent like 20 minutes talking about uh, drinking a glass of water yeah. and walking down a ramp because and everybody cheered. Because he has set the bar so low that using one hand to drink a glass of water makes people cheer. And it, this man. this man is just I will say shockingly though, stupid. That is that is says something about like setting setting yourself up so that way people expect so very little of you <laughs> that when you drink My a glass of water. My president drinks water with one hand. All presidents drink water with one hand, dude. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Do they? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I want to see video of all the presidents drinking water with one hand. I will say that is not an accomplishment. They'll be like, 
Joe Biden drinks water with two hands. <laughs> Joe Biden, Biden drinks everything through a fucking straw. You get really bad wrinkles if you do that. <laughs> right, that's why that's my concern about my water bottle. If we're being honest. <laughs> Is that why you so, break the straw off right before I need it so I don't right, choke to I'm death? Right, I'm like, it's choking quick. <laughs> don't detach the, the straw. So, um, yeah, today. Today we're going to talk about a little something called Black Wall Street. Okay. Are you familiar? I've heard the term. Do you want me to tell you where I've heard the term? Or do you want me to wait till later? Because it kind of ties into what I'm talking about later. I'll just tell you now, I guess. Or no. Okay, whatever. No, it makes sense that it would tie in. So why don't you tell me? First time I've heard of this was the HBO Watchmen series. There you go. Which is sad because that just came out last year. So my second question is, why weren't we taught about this in school? Hmm. I think we all know why. Racists. <laughs> Racism. So... Today, I'll be answering the first question. However, the second question, I think, demands a reform. What's the second question? Why weren't we taught about oh. this in school? No. Oh. What was the first question? What is Black Wall Street? Oh. <laughs> I'm a good listener. <laughs> really good listener. Excellent listener. This podcast is going great. We are. We're up there. So, Black History needs to be more than one month where we... Pay lip service to Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. So I'm going to start by saying that. This is me. Just spitballing here. Maybe if we incorporated it into history books accurately, we wouldn't have to have this one month where we just do like, I have a dream speeches. Well, I've I've never learned anything from Black History Month. Me neither. So. And that's the problem. So before I go into Oklahoma... In Black Wall Street and the Tulsa massacre and all of that. I want to say that perhaps if we gave an accurate account of history, we wouldn't have to have a history month. Perhaps if we just incorporated black history into, you know, history, we wouldn't have to have an entire month. Also, I got to interrupt you because I just want to say. Anybody who's been a longtime listener knows I say the phrase, I'm not an SJW a yeah. lot, and I'm not. And other, I'm sure some people out there are like, well, you sound like an SJW now. But my definition of an SJW, is, is, I mean, it's social justice warrior. Um, I think what we're doing is more just allyship and seeing things that are wrong and trying to do something about it. Yeah. What little way we I can. SJW a- to me is somebody who goes on Twitter and they try to cancel somebody because they microaggress them and all that kind of stuff. And it's all about stupid shit. It's all everybody. It's about people getting hurt by words. Whereas this is a much more real thing in that in the, the treatment of black people. I think uh, standing with somebody is a whole lot different than being like going on Twitter. I didn't. Right. Right. Going out there and being visible for the sake of visibility. Or, or going out there and being like, I'm a good person. I'm still not a good person, by the way. I always say that. I'm I'm yeah, not a good see, person. See, As see last, last week's, week's episode. <laughs> last week's podcast. I'm not a good person. I've done a very good job of burying that out in front of you. I've been very honest about the fact that, one, I'm right. an asshole and I'm not a good person. We're super authentic. Sometimes I'm more of an asshole than even I realize, though. Like, authenticity is 
kind of one of our core values. But yeah, I, I see this as different. This is like a real a real issue. This isn't somebody who got their feelings hurt, right? Because of the internet, this is like a real thing. So don't don't confuse like those those kind of SJWs and and all that Twitter nonsense and snowflakes and this and that that has nothing to do with this and kind of stuff. And virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Yes, and I am not virtue signaling either because yeah, no, this is very like this is. To me, this is right? just like, why isn't this like this? This has kind of been my Correct. whole life. I feel like most people are just like shocked to find this white people are shocked to find this still going on. And, and so on Juneteenth, people were shocked to find out that Obama has spoken about Juneteenth or had spoken about Juneteenth on every single day during uh, every single Juneteenth during his presidency. Yeah. And. I thought it made total perfect sense. Right. People were like, well, why didn't why didn't he make it a federal holiday? And I say people, I mean people on Facebook. Like I was involved in these conversations. Why didn't they why didn't he make it a federal holiday? It's like, why is it up to the black president to make it a federal holiday? There, right. Do you know how many presidents came before him? It was one hundred and fifty five years. Hmm. Why didn't any of the white presidents before him make it a federal holiday? I had never heard of Juneteenth until last year when Apple added it to my calendar. That was the first time I, I and I had to look it up. I had and never heard of it until I had 2019. only heard of it because I had a friend who worked in civil rights. That's why I had heard of it. Yeah. And she planned Juneteenth events. But I've, which is I've why known about it for a little over it. a year, basically, which is so crazy. I had known about it longer, but I had only known about it because of that. Yeah. I didn't learn about it in school. Yeah. So that being said, the arguments on Facebook were like this should have been done by Obama. Why? Why does why does right. a black man have to do right. it? Right. What about all of these white men who came before why, him? Why can't Trump do it? Why can't Trump do it now? That would be a, a just I mean, it's be why? pretty much meaningless, but it'd be a nice little gesture of trying to. It's just so anyway, that's something that's what I was trying to yeah. say. Is that no, we are not SJWs. We are not virtue signaling. This it, this is how it should be. And I, you know, the people say, don't shit on yourself and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you're not standing on the side of the oppressed, you're on the wrong side. She said, don't shit on yourself, by the way, in case you're wondering, because people don't really say that. Maybe in your circle. <laughs> people oh, yeah. say that. People say that a people lot. People say don't shit on yourself maybe. And, and people say don't should on yourself a lot in yeah. in like developmental circles. Yes. So that's a thing. But this but, is how it needs to be. But I'm excited because I, I don't really know okay. much about this. So I, I am ready to hear this. So now I, that I, I have given you my morality speech and if you are still listening, here we go. So Greenwood, Tulsa in Oklahoma was also known as Black Wall Street. It when? was one huh? When? This is 1921. 1921. It was one of the most commercially successful and affluent majority African American communities in the United States. Most Americans, including African Americans, Black Americans, how whatever you want to call them. I just call I, them Black Americans. That's what I call them. That's fine. So, this article Calls them African-Americans, so I have in here African-Americans a lot of time, and then when I start writing for myself, I call them Black Americans because that's how that's how I identify Black people. That's how they prefer to be identified, and I prefer to identify people 
as they prefer to be identified because that's respectful. Great job. That's the whole pronoun conversation. <laughs> so many Americans had moved to Oklahoma in the hopes of gaining a shot at a quick economic gain through mining and oil, right? Yeah. So even though black Americans had constituted a small percentage of the overall population, the percentage of black people in Tulsa had significantly increased to around 12.3% during the oil boom. Okay. Okay. So they had mainly come from the black South and Kansas because of the opportunity to strike gold and hit it rich in the oil field. Yeah. So this was during the Jim Crow era. So black people were not allowed to make purchases or use the services in predominantly white areas. Yeah. I know. Economists theorize that this forced black people to spend their money where they would feel welcome, effectively insulating the cash flow within the black community and allowing Greenwood to flourish and prosper. See? Yeah. On Black Wall Street, there were black attorneys, real estate agents, entrepreneurs, doctors who offered their services within the neighborhood. And while many white residents felt intimidated by the prosperity growth in the size of Black Wall Street, not not only was was uh, Greenwood, Tulsa expanding in population, it was also expanding in their physical boundaries. So they were starting to jut up up against the boundaries of the white neighborhood. Okay. Because once you get they were growing. right, once you get so prosperous, you right. need space. Right. So according to several neighbor, uh, I'm sorry, newspapers and articles of the time. There were reports of hateful letters sent to prominent business leaders within Black Wall Street, which demanded they stop overstepping their boundaries into the white section of Tulsa. Hmm. Yeah. On May 30th, 1921, a black teenager named Dick Rowland entered an elevator in the Drexel building. It was an office building on South Main Street. At some point after that, a young white elevator operator named Sarah Page screamed. Rowland fled the scene and the police were called. The next morning, they arrested Rowland. Nobody knows what for sure happened, but the common suggestion is that Rowland may have tripped. And to catch himself, he grabbed onto Page's arm. Yeah. She screamed in reaction and knowing the danger that he was now in because he's touched a white woman. Right. He ran from the building. So uh, Dick Rowland, just for your own FYI, he was 19. Sarah Page was 17. So these are these are like young adults slash yeah. kids. Yeah. Rumors of what supposedly happened in the elevator then circulated through the city's white community. Front page story on the Tulsa Tribune that afternoon reported that police had had arrested Rowland for sexually assaulting Page. Oof. That evening, as hundreds of white Tulsans shouted for the sheriff to turn Rowland over. Groups of armed black men showed up at the courthouse and told officials that they were there to help defend it. Many white people went to get their own weapons, and the crowd grew to more than 2,000. Jesus. According to the 2001 commission report, a white man then tried to grab a black man's gun. The gun went off, and according to the reports of the sheriff, all hell broke loose. The white mob spread through the streets of downtown Tulsa, shooting black people on sight. Holy shit. 
over the next several hours, groups of white Tulsans. 1921, right? 1921. So it'll be 100 years next year. Over the next several hours, groups of white Tulsans, some of whom were deputized and given weapons by city officials. Cool. Committed numerous acts of violence against black people, including shooting an unarmed man in a movie theater. Mm. As dawn broke on June 1st, thousands of white citizens rushed into the Greenwood district and opened fire, led by black people, uh, led black people out of their homes and businesses at gunpoint, looting and burning their homes and businesses over 35 city blocks. Hmm. That's not how you protest, by the way. No. Not, <laughs> That's not acceptable not amongst white people. White, white people. people yeah, white people don't think white that's White people don't you... behave like that. Just ask no. them. Right. Firefighters who arrived to help out to put or to help put out the fires testified that the rioters had threatened them with guns and forced them to leave. Numerous eyewitnesses described airplanes carrying white assailants who fired rifles and dropped firebombs on buildings, homes, and the fleeing families. Actually bombed their little city. They pr- there was a privately owned aircraft um, that was dispatched from nearby Curtis Southwest uh, uh, Airfield outside of Tulsa. So, yeah. Law enforcement officials later said that the planes were provided were to provide reconnaissance to protect the, quote, Negro uprising. Oh, my God. Law enforcement personnel were thought to be aboard at least some of the, fl- the flights. And eyewitness accounts, such as testimonies from survivors during the commission hearings and a manuscript by eyewitness and attorney Buck Colbert, or Colbert, I guess, <laughs> Colbert Franklin, discovered in 2015, said that on the morning of June 1st, at least a dozen or more planes circled the neighborhood and dropped burning turpentine balls on an office building, a hotel, a filling station, and multiple other buildings. Jesus Men also fired rifles at young and old black residents, gunning them down in the street. According to a later Red Cross estimate, some 1,256 houses were burned, 215 others were looted but not torched, two newspapers, a school, a library, a hospital, churches, hotels, stores, and many other black-owned businesses were among the buildings destroyed or damaged by fire. The police and National Guard arrested black people instead of the white rioters. Of course. Though some guardsmen helped put out fires, other guardsmen joined the rioters. Hmm. In the hours after the Tulsa Race Massacre, all charges against Dick Rowland were dropped. (laughs) The police concluded that he most likely stumbled into Paige or stepped on her foot. Cool. Kept safely under their guard in the jail during the riot, he left Tulsa the next morning and never returned. About 10,000 black people were left homeless. And property damage amounted to $1.5 million in real estate and 75, or I'm sorry, 750000 in personal property, equivalent to $32.25 million in, in 2019. Jesus. Their property was never recovered, nor were they compensated for it. Claims were denied for black people, but approved for white. The massacre was covered by national newspapers, and the reported number of deaths varied wildly. 
On June 1st, 1921, the Tulsa Tribune reported that nine white people and 68 black people had died in the riot. But shortly after, it was changed to a total of 176 deaths. The next day, the same newspaper reported nine white people and 21 black people. They believe it's between 200 and 300 black people. Wow. There's never been a real number. No convictions for any of the charges related to the violence were ever made. There have been decades of, of silence about the terror, violence, and losses of the event. The riot was largely omitted from the local, state, and national histories. It's rarely mentioned in any history book. Yeah, classroom. I'd say so. Yeah. And even in private, it's omitted. The immediate aftermath of the massacre, the Ku Klux Klan used it as a recruiting tool. And within months, its Tulsa chapter became one of the nation's largest. I don't want to say that's why Trump had his first rally there, but Hmm. I do want to point out that that became one of the Ku Klux Klan's largest chapter. The The city does remain deeply segregated. This is according to a New York Times article released yesterday. Oh. The city remains deeply segregated and has long-standing problems that have come to the surface, um, the surface amid national protests for, for racial justice and police accountability. Uh, yeah, so I never heard of that literally till a fictional TV show based on a comic book series told me about it. And by, by told me about it, I mean they, they filmed a, a recreation of it for the show, and I didn't realize it was real at first. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea until I looked up Black Wall Street. And it's disgusting. Well, yeah, I, I think people, I don't think people need to be told that. I think no, they know that. No, but I mean, it's like, it's like makes your stomach drop, want to vomit, disgusting. <sighs> like, it's not just like, wow, this is abhorrent. It's, I, here's what gets me, is we have, we have museums for, the Holocaust, right? And that's right. millions of people dead. Right. But that wasn't our country's crimes. We well, weren't no. even on the side of that. No. That's These why. are our country's crimes. Right. They don't have anything for Native Americans. We don't have anything for black people. I went to the Civil Rights Museum. I didn't see anything on this there. Wow. That's crazy. Dude. What? Where? Where can I learn about this? Do you know what I mean? Like. Where are we? we only, I think we only people? know about it now because of the internet. Right. That's the only reason Where we know about it now. Where are people supposed to go to learn about it? What are, are you supposed to? You're supposed to go stand in front of a statue. <laughs> like, like well, that's where all the history comes from. That's where the history. The that's where you learn about history. Is standing in front of statues. You got to find statues of of uh, racist losers, and that's right. how you learn history. Right. Or sometimes genocidal maniacs. Um, but that's the Columbus statue came down uh, on Juneteenth. In Columbus, we had a Columbus statue come down. That's where I went and trolled the Facebook. <laughs> I was having a bad day. Um, I, had a couple, I had all I had a couple people pretending they gave a shit about. First of all, like you don't care about Christopher Columbus. This is not even a public statue. And then people are like, "What did he ever do?" It's like, like, oh, do you? Uh, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like we've heard about Christopher. I've been learning about Christopher Columbus again. This is all bad. internet. I didn't hear anything bad back in school. But I'd say for the past, like, I don't know, 15 years or so, every year, it's like more and more terrible things you hear about this dude. Yeah, that is not. That's that's America's worst kept secret. Um, but yeah, that is. Uh, 
that's my topic this week. Uh, that was educational. Um, and unlike your usual topics where they're just disgusting, this was disgusting, but also educational. Yes. So that was a nice change. I decided and to go a different. kind of disgusting just because... Uh, it's true crime, but it's relevant true crime. How about that? Yeah, it's relevant and it's... Uh, but yeah, that's... That was, that was very... It makes you uncomfortable, but like it, neededly. It makes me angry and sad, and but mostly angry. <laughs> yeah. It makes me mostly angry. And then I'm also, on top of being angry about the fact that it occurred, I'm also angry that... I'm angry it's covered that we're, up. The white I'm people angry cover that we're not in up. a better place a hundred years later. Right. I'm angry that we're not further along a right. hundred years later. A hundred years later. And yeah, racism is still a major issue. And I really didn't realize it. I didn't either. I really, no. I, even a year ago, even six months ago, I thought we were further along than we are. Right. All right. So, yeah. So as I was saying earlier, your topic kind of ties into mine. So I finished watching the HBO Watchmen series this weekend. I started it, I don't know, sometime probably earlier this year. Watched a couple episodes. So I initial, my initial impressions of it were I, I, didn't, I thought it was a really intriguing series from the first two episodes I had watched. But I was disappointed because at the time it just seemed like they were cashing in on the IP of Watchmen. Like it could have been a story told they didn't like they didn't need the watchman ip to tell this story but it's almost like they attached it just to kind of give it that extra boost like oh i recognize that there was that movie or there was that comic book or whatever but as the series went on they actually did a really great job of tying it into watchman lore i thought and so that was cool that was nice to be proven wrong that it wasn't just them taking elements of the series mm -hmm. and slapping a name on a story that had nothing to do with it they actually tied it in really, really well. And so the, I did end up enjoying that. Uh, it's like nine episodes long. Uh, worth a watch. And again, it starts off with the uh, the bombing of, of uh, Black Wall Street. Fuck. And, That's infuriating. Yeah. All right. So but actually what I'm going to talk about, though, is Watchmen, the comic book, which came out, which started in 1986 and ran until 1980. It was a 12-part maxi-series published by DC, uh, ran from 86 to 87. Uh, was written by Alan Moore, and the artist was Dave Gibbons, I believe. Yeah, Dave Gibbons. Yeah, I've done some great research here. No, I just want to make sure I got his name right. Um, and uh, I believe John Higgins was the colorist on it, but Alan Moore is a really well-known, well-respected comic book writer. So was it, was it on a... Was it on, like, a publisher like or was it independent it was published by dc oh did you already say that yes <laughs> that's all right i listen as good as you do yeah so it's fair yeah it was published by dc back in 86 uh start this with a quote from the writer alan moore who said i suppose i was just thinking that'd be a good way to start a comic book have a famous superhero found dead as the mystery unraveled we would be led deeper and deeper into the real heart of the superhero's world and show a reality that was very different to the general public image of the superhero. All right, so in 1983, DC Comics acquired a line of characters from Charlton Comics. During that period, writer Alan Moore contemplated writing, contemplated writing a story that featured an unused line of superheroes that he could revamp, as he had done in his Miracle Man series in the early 1980s. Miracle Man. Miracle Man. It's I never read it. I've heard of it. Miracle Whip. Uh, more reason that uh, 
Uh, MLJ Comics, Mighty Crusaders might be available for such a project, so he devised a murder mystery plot which would begin with the discovery of the body of a character called The Shield in a harbor. He felt it did not matter which set of characters he ultimately used as long as readers recognized them, quote, so it would have the shock and surprise value when you saw the reality of what of these uh, what the reality of these characters was, end quote. Moore used this premise and crafted a proposal featuring the Charlton characters titled Who Killed the Peacemaker and submitted the unsolicited uh, proposal to DC managing editor Dick Giordano. Uh, he was receptive to the proposal, but opposed the idea of using the Charlton characters for the story. Alan Moore said that DC realized their expensive characters would end up either dead or dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, Giordano persuaded Moore to continue with new characters. Moore had initially believed that the original characters would not provide emotional reson resonance for the readers, but later changed his mind. He said, quote, eventually I realized that if I wrote the substitute characters well enough so that they seemed familiar in certain ways, certain aspects of them brought back a kind of generic superhero resonance or familiarity to the reader, then it might work. So then uh, artist Dave Gibbons, who had collaborated with Moore on previous projects, recalled that he must have heard through the grapevine that he was doing a treatment for a new miniseries. So he rang Alan up saying, I'd like to be involved with what you're doing. And Moore sent him the story outline. Gibbons told Giordano he wanted to draw the series that Moore proposed and Moore approved. He brought colorist John Higgins onto the project because he liked his unusual style. Higgins lived near the artist, which allowed the two to discuss the art and have some kind of human contact rather than just sending it across the ocean. Um, all right. Uh, Len Wine joined the project as its editor while Giordano stayed on to oversee it. Both Wine and Giordano stood back and got out of their way, with Giordano remarking later, who copy edits Alan Moore, for God's sake? So he had already established himself as a really good writer by this point in the comics industry. Well, well respected. All right. That's how I feel about my writing. Who copy edits me? <laughs> and the answer is you. Uh, me. I do. <laughs> who copy edits who copy edits Maggie. All right. After receiving the go-ahead, that's actually a play on the who watches the Watchmen, which was a tagline. So that's why it was funny that you said that. Who copy edits Maggie? Who watches the Watchmen? It doesn't play as well because of the lack of alliteration. <laughs> but um, after receiving the go-ahead to work on the project, Moore and Gibbs spent a day at the latter's house creating characters, crafting details for the stories, and discussing influences. The pair was particularly influenced by a Mad Magazine parody of Superman called Super Duper Man. <laughs> so he wanted to take Super Duper Man 180 degrees, make him dramatic instead of co comedic. So they conceived of a story that would take familiar old-fashioned superheroes into a completely new realm. The writer said his intention was to create a superhero Moby Dick, something that had that sort of weight, that sort of density. So Moore came up with the character names and descriptions, but left how they looked to Gibbons. Um, he sat down. He didn't sit down and design the characters uh, deliberately, but rather did it at odd times, maybe two or three weeks just doing sketches. And he designed his characters to make them easy to draw. <laughs> That's that sounds like Maggie as well. <laughs> I also like to design things in that manner. All right. So when the story begins, um, like she do it. Is that really what I want to go into? Really? Right. No, we're, doing we're not. It, no. Are we doing it panel by panel? No, we're not doing that. All Holy right. shit. We're not. We're skipping that. All right. All right. So with Watchmen, Alan Moore's intention was to create four or five radically opposing ways to perceive the world and to give readers the story, uh, uh, readers of the story, the privilege of determining which one was most morally comprehensible, not reprehensible, comprehensible. Moore did not believe in the notion of cramming regurgitated morals down the readers' throats and instead sought to show heroes in an ambivalent light. 
Moore said, what we wanted to do was show all of these people, warts and all, show that even the worst of them had something going for them, even the best of them had their flaws. So, uh, Moore and Gibbons designed Watchmen to showcase the unique qualities of the comics medium and to highlight its particular strengths. In a 1986 interview, Moore said, what I'd like to explore is the, idea, is the areas that comics succeed in where no other media is capable of operating, and emphasized this by stressing the differences between comics and film. Moore said that Watchmen was designed to be read four or five times, with some links and allusions only becoming apparent to the reader after several, several readings. So it's weird that it became a movie. Um, a TV show. You don't know much about Alan Moore, do you? We'll get into Alan. We'll get into him at the end. Can I feel like it? you should, because I've talked about him many times. But we talk about a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, he's a fiercely independent motherfucker. And we'll talk I about how he, he feels like about that. the movies. Well, wait, are there, is there more than one movie? A lot of his stuff has been adapted. Oh. Uh, Swamp Thing stories. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, From Hell, B for Vendetta. Oh. Yeah, he's he, he's had a lot of stuff adapted. Oh. And oh. he doesn't like any of it, if he even watches it at all. So, he doesn't like V? He probably didn't watch it, according to him. And he, he hates it so much, you won't see his name as a creator in the, like, he doesn't even want, he doesn't want any money from it. He doesn't want his name on the movies at all in any way. Not, not wanting his so like name when you watch Watchmen. the Watchmen movie or the show, it'll be like adapted from the comic by Dave Gibbons. I don't blame him for not wanting. Has no, like, it will did never. You, did you see? The anyway, Watchmen we'll movie? get into that. All right. All right. Uh, Dave Gibbons notes that as it progressed, Watchmen became much more about the telling than the tale itself. The main thrust of the story essentially hinges on what is called a MacGuffin, Maggie. <laughs> what is that? that face? What is the face you're making now? Explain for dear listener what the face is you're making. Explain your emotions and thoughts right now. I can't roll my eyes any harder. Yeah, I didn't make that word up. And I'm shocked that you let me say MacGuffin 900 times in an episode and never asked what the hell it was. Well, I don't even know what episode we're referring to here. It you don't had remember be, that? No, I don't remember what number it is. Do you? I don't even know. But you did that, though. Yeah, I did. You just let me say MacGuffin a million times. You like, didn't know what it was and you didn't ask either. It was like 50, 60 episodes. You ago. have to be the proxy for the listener because the listener right, might listener, not know what it is either. If you know what MacGuffin means now, apparently I know that it means like the the like carrot to move the story along. It's just a gimmick in the story. Yeah, it's like the carrot to our donkey. It's the, like like I said, the example I always use is the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Is a MacGuffin. It serves no, it has no actual bearing on the story. Now you're assuming listeners have seen Pulp Fiction. Both they haven't, they probably shouldn't listen to this show. Like, Oof. come on now. <laughs> All right. All right, so really the plot itself is of no great consequence. It, it just really isn't the most interesting thing about Watchmen. As we actually came to tell the tale that's where the real creativity came in that's how i feel about the movie is like i have no idea what the actual plot is the only thing i can t tell is that i'm trying to follow the comedian's funeral the backstory we'll get to the movie the, after i'm done with the like comic it's stuff not very good i have a lot to say in here that and then we'll discuss the movie and it's the guy from supernatural all right so structurally certain aspects of watchmen deviated from the norm in comic books at the time particularly the panel layout and the coloring Instead of panels of various sizes, the creators divided each page into a nine-panel grid, which is very old-fashioned. Gibbons favored the nine-panel grid system due to its authority, as he put it. Moore accepted the use of the nine-panel grid format, which gave him a level of control over the storytelling he hadn't had previously, according to Gibbons. There was this element of the pacing and visual impact that he could now predict and use to dramatic effect. 
Moore has named William S. Burroughs as one of his main influences during the conception of Watchmen. He admires Burroughs' use of repeated symbols that would become laden with meaning, meaning in Burroughs' only comic strip, The Unspeakable Mr. Hart, which appeared in the British underground magazine Cyclops. Not every intertextual link in the series was planned by Moore, who remarked that there's stuff in there David put in that even I only noticed on the sixth or seventh read, while other things turned up in there by accident. Oh, you know what, though? It's probably esoteric knowledge. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I wouldn't get it. All right. The crater on the planet Mars that appears in Watchmen is an example of the series' recurring smiley motif. There's a crater that's on Mars that looks like a smiley face. Like uh, a smiley it's an actual crater that's on Mars called like the Gall Crater. It's like a real thing. Uh, a Is there a really a smiley face on It Mars? looks like one, yeah. All right. Uh, a stained what? smiley face is a recurring image in the story, appearing in many forms. Um, That's probably covered in history books, but don't worry, black history isn't. All right. I'm going to skip all that. That's, that's getting too, too much. All right. The initial premise of the series was to examine what superheroes would be like in a credible real world. As the story became more complex, more said Watchmen became about power and about the idea of the Superman manifest within society. I don't exactly know what that means, so don't ask me. The title of the series refers to the question, who will watch the Watchmen themselves, famously posed by the Roman satirist, uh, satirist Juvenal, although Moore was not aware of the phrases. <laughs> Do we have to back that ass up? <laughs> <laughs> although Moore was, motherfucker, but I back that ass up. Although Moore was not aware of the phrase's classical origins until Harlan Ellison informed him. More common in 1987, that, quote, in the context of the Watchmen, that fits. They're watching out for us, but who's watching out for them? The writer stated in the introduction to uh, one of the hardcover collections of Watchmen that while writing the series, he was able to purge himself of his nostalgia for superheroes, and instead he found an interest in real human beings. Moore has expressed dismay. Now, this kind of, pay attention to this in regards to the movie. I'm the trying really tone hard, but Sam's chasing his tail, and it's so cute. I'm trying to pay attention. All right, so Moore has expressed dismay that the gritty, deconstructivist, postmodern superhero comic, as exemplified by Watchmen, became an entire genre. He said in 2003 that, to some degree, there has been, in the, in the 15 years since Watchmen, an awful lot of comics uh, devoted to these grim, pessimistic, nasty, violent stories, which kind of use Watchmen to validate what are, in effect, often just some very nasty stories that don't have a lot to recommend them. Gibbon said that while readers were left with the idea that it was a grim and gritty kind of thing, he said in his view the series was a wonderful celebration of superheroes as much as anything else. So now we'll get into a little bit of the Alan Moore. So disagreements about the ownership of the story led Moore to sever ties with DC Comics. Not wanting to work under a work-for-hire arrangement, Moore and Gibbons had a reversion clause in their contract for Watchmen. Speaking at the 1985 San Diego Comic-Con, Moore said, The way it works, if I understand it, is that DC owns it for the time they're publishing it, and then it reverts to Dave and me so he can make all the money from the Slurpee Cups. For Watchmen, Moore and Gibbons received 8% of the series' earnings. 8%. Uh, could you imagine? They did 100% of the work. And they yeah, got eight no, percent. That's the problem of with, the money. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they did one hundred percent of the work, but they didn't do any of the distribution or any of that. So there no, is, but there's cost that goes into that. But yes, yeah, yeah. No, I. Get I think it. it's better to I own one hundred percent. Like, let's say, like you said, they didn't. They didn't have the distribution. Right. But if they owned it and it blew up on its own, they no, would be making a lot more money I off that it. property right now. I get it. 
All right. So Moore explained in 1986 that his understanding was that when uh, DC have not used the characters for a year, they're ours. However, both Moore and Gibson said DC paid them a substantial amount of money to retain the rights. Uh, Moore added, so basically they're not ours, but if DC is working with the characters in our interest, then they might as well be. On the other hand, if the characters have outlived their natural lifespan and DC doesn't want anything to do with them, then after a year we've got them and we can do what we want with them. However, the problem is DC publishes trades every year in collections, so they're never, they're never not going to be out of print. Uh-huh. So... Uh, Moore said when he left DC in 1989 due to the language in his contracts for Watchmen and his V for Vendetta series, uh, he felt the reversion clauses were ultimately meaningless because DC did not intend to let the publications go out of print. Yeah, no shit. He said uh, in 2006, I said, fair enough. DC's not stupid. I mean, DC is stupid, but not when it comes to contracts. I said, fair enough. You have managed to successfully swindle me, and so I will never work for you again. Um, All right, so let's go. So going back to that paragraph about... The dark, grim, and gritty. So 1986 was a a big year in comics. One, because of The Watchmen came out, and the other one was The Dark Knight Returns. And those two stories changed comics pretty much forever. And it would be really cool if you looked over here. He's pulling down my jacket. It's it's fine. Probably (laughs) is pulling clothes down off of the But if I could just have your attention. To make a bed. It would really help tremendously with my focus instead of staring at at the back of your head. (laughs) I can't stop looking. It's incredibly rude. Making a bed out of my clothing that he's pulling down. Anyway, so they changed comics. Um, A lot of people, you know, wanted to do dark, grim and gritty, and that lasted for years and years. Like you said, you know, 15 years or more. People are still doing it, but I mean, it's definitely the trend has died down. But I think people really mistake Watchmen. They, They don't understand what it is. And I think a primary example of that would be Zack Snyder's version of Watchmen of the movie. Hello, darkness, my old friends. Uh, aside from his terrible and obvious musical choices, he adapted it into an action movie. And Watchmen is not an action oriented comic. Again, you, you had the nine panel storytelling, the old fashioned storytelling. There was some action, but it, again, it's very realistic. Zack Snyder's doing the Michael Bay thing. Everything is slowed down. There's all this slow-mo. These people are doing these crazy choreographed kung fu fights. That was not what Watchmen was about at all. And it's one of the reasons I don't like the movie. Um, the other thing that... So when we watched the Joker movie, That's one thing I really liked about that is it felt like it was filmed in the 80s or 70s, like yeah, late 70s, early did. 80s. It, it had did. that, like they used like actual film. I think that would be more suitable for a Watchmen adaptation if you're going to adapt the comic it's again. It's weird because I really don't like Watchmen. So well, that movie's not good. That's why. Oh. It's not. It, a lot of the lines, a lot of the dialogue are straight out of the comic. But again, there's just a lot to do with context. And so the, when you watch the the HBO version, which is not really an adaptation, it's a sequel. But when they show those characters, they have on like the cheesy costumes from the comic book. Whereas in the Zack Snyder one, they even though it's 1985, they have these costumes that you didn't see until 2005 or 2008 when Batman. You know what I mean? It just it 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 stands out, and that was his effort to. Even though he set the movie in 1985, he was afraid to really embrace the the comic bookiness of the of the actual series, and the comic book is not. I mean, its subject matter can be dark. However, it like the movie is very darkly lit. 
Um, they throw in all kinds of ridiculous action scenes. The musical cues drove me fucking nuts. They're just goofy and ridiculous and obvious. And what you would expect from somebody who thinks Michael Bay is a good director, which is the, the only thing I can think of, of Zack Snyder. Um, what was uh, some of my other issues with the movie adaptation? Sam is touching my mic stand, so sorry about any feedback you guys hear. He, uh, he's just not... I don't. He didn't get Watchmen. It's clear from the movie he made. The other change he made was at the end. So at the end of Watchmen, the comic book, basically the whole thing is this hero, Ozymandias, has created. He, he's trying to end the Cold War between Russia and USA before there's a nuclear war breaks out. Right. So his solution is he creates a giant squid monster to attack mm, the world. No. Mm-mm. And so everybody comes together to fight the aliens now. Hard, That's his whole thing. He makes one enemy and it, it works for that. But in the meantime, he kills like three million people in the process oh, of doing it. Like yeah, Trump. because <laughs> because he's trying to unite people. So, again, he's not a hero per se, but he did he did stave off nuclear war with this thing. But in the movie, they were afraid to do the giant squid. So instead. He made it so Ozymandias manipulated people into thinking Dr. Manhattan was a villain and Dr. Manhattan decided, agreed with it to, to save the world. It wasn't nearly as good as what they did in the comic. So what I like about the HBO series is they reference the squid. They, it's more of a, it's a sequel to the comic, not to the, the half-assed big budget movie that Zack Snyder made. So, but yeah, the, I don't, don't think the movie is what Watchmen is about. It's just so different tonally. And what he chooses to focus on, it's it's so different from... And there's some great performances in it, and there's still cool stuff in it. Um, I do actually like it for... I mean, I, I do, like, enjoy it, but it's not good. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. It's not good, I, but I enjoy it. Just because I, I like seeing the Watchmen on screen. But the HBO series, despite having nothing to do with Alan Moore or Dave Gibbons, is actually a really good story on its own that does a great job of given some a great origin story to a character called hooded justice really good shit you should really watch that but yeah that that was that's my thing this week watchmen actually what you should if you really care read the series it's 12 issues you can, there's a million different fucking trade paperbacks of it you can buy they reprint it all the time it's available on amazon right now you can download it from comiXology for like 12 bucks really really good see the origins and see careful how once sean mentions comic comicsology it's all it's going to show up in your ads comicsology i know because he mentions it around me and then all of a sudden it shows up in my ads and it's like okay i had I an ad from that. mike pence today in my facebook feed and it had a picture of a, like a fighting game like mortal Kombat, and it had trump's head Photoshop poorly onto some karate guy's body and then Biden's head on some karate guy's body and it said finish him like Mortal Kombat so I reported it for violence because <laughs> I don't want that in my feed it's embarrassing and stupid and I should have said it was sexually perverse but <laughs> I was just like why the fuck is this in my feed but that's all I have this week all right so we should probably wrap it up because Crowley really wants to go outside into the sun thunderstorm that we're having so, Has it cleared up yet? No, I guess not. No, I know you're deaf, but I'm not, so I can hear that? that it's <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh, so yeah, right. that's this week's episode. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Yes. Uh, welcome all you new listeners. Yes. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you next week. Look for us on all the social stuff. Subscribe, like, 
follow, leave reviews, all that good stuff. Yeah. Call to action, right? All right, Crowley, we'll take you outside. Trying with a call to action. Yeah. Oh, also, check out my other podcast. Uh, Steve reads a comic. It goes live on Fridays. We we just had a really good one. Uh, Me and my friend Steve and Rob talk about comic, a different comic every week. They're new to comics. I make them read something. I made them read something called Sex Criminals last week, and Rob did not enjoy it because he's a bit prudish, it turns out, and it's hilarious. So check that out. It's a good time. Bye. Bye.